0: You are a gangsta rapper. You are a gangsta rap artist. You can really knock it out. You can really whip a camel's ass. Bush with Bill. Bush with Bill. Bush with Bill. Bush with Bill. Keep on playing that gangster rap music. Groove it on the jack move. Wrap it like a magic kiss rap harder like a magic kiss Power to my artwork. The music will harmonize me. The jam says it keeps me on the move. Your gangster rap music will take me on a joyride. Bushwick Bill. Bushwick Bill. Bushwick Bill. Bushwick Bill. Rock over London. Chicago, top USA. It's the Computer Superstore,
1: and you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. Today on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show, interviews with John Lydon of the Sex Pistols from Finsbury Park, England, and Bushwick Bill. And you just heard Bushwick Bill by Wesley Willis. Bushwick Bill from Houston, Texas. Wesley Willis, rest in peace, from Chicago, Illinois. Today on an Ardwar to Human Serviette radio show, they all come together an interview with Bushwick Bill, ex-ghetto boys, and John Lydon from Chicago the Sex Pistols. To start you right off right now, here's something by Bushwick Bill, Size Ain't Shit. And I will warn you listeners, if you're offended by the type of language that Bushwick Bill or John Lydon will use, perhaps you should tune out right now. In other words, adult language, themes, etc. are coming up on an Ardwar to Human Serviette radio show, so if you're afraid of those words, please tune out now. Here's Bushwick Bill with Size Ain't Shit, then an interview with Bushwick Bill from Houston, Texas, and then an interview with John Lydon from the Sex Pistols from Finsbury Park, England, on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio
2: Show. Yo, Bushwick, what do you do when motherfuckers underestimate your size, man? First of all, I laugh. Then what? Smash their ass like a goddamn car crash so if you want to try your luck come on play pussy get fucked asshole sleep you get beat you're a bad motherfucker if you dare to compete because dina ross will be coming out your ass fool and have you singing the blues tall or bigger by the pound let's go around i'ma take you shake you, and break you down and if you kick i'm gonna pick up a stick and beat your ass to the size of your dick and that's small and you think you're macking He has a big dick, size ain't shit. Don't push me, Bill, man. Show these ho ass motherfuckers out here in the game, man. That you're too short to take a motherfucking short. And DJ Ready Red got your motherfucking back. Lifting weights to make you bigger. But lift me, you'll be a dead ass nigga. You wanna squabble you think you're tougher? Squabble that motherfucker. Those are called bullets, they got them in every state. To keep niggas like you in place. And since I'm a trigger happy nigga, look for your place to be cemetery, you goddamn sucker, lying next to another bad motherfucker, reputation ain't shit, cause see it. what you done did in the past don't excite me, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, you can't have it, nah, 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 any motherfucker wanna get with Bushwick, bring it on cause your size ain't shit, cause I'm too short. Sure that- Niggas, shank a motherfucker in a minute. And if a ride
3: child
1: you are bushwick bill
3: (laughs) yeah i'm bushwick bill how you doing
1: (laughs) bushwick bill welcome to south by southwest austin
3: texas where you do not live no i do not live here but it's where music lives so i guess technically i am living here
1: bushwick bill right off the bat i want to ask you about this particular record right here first priority basement flavor what can you tell the people
3: about it by first priority, you talking about M C Lights, mom and dad record label with Audio Two and the rest of these characters?
1: Indeed, yes, and Mishimi from Canada.
3: Yeah, it's pretty Italian. Well, really what I like about this record right here personally is that it shows diversity and flavor and if you think about it Audio 2, 50 Cents just sampled him three years ago and went platinum again on that beat. And so did Mary J. Blige sing on the same beat that Audio 2 did Milk Is Chilling. So the beats off of this album has been multi-platinum since this album has came out with other artists rapping over the same beat.
1: Well, you started as a dancer in New York, the Swatch Watch competition?
3: Yes. I am a breakdancing genius. <laughs> now, see, um, When I was young, I was into graffiti, breakdancing, and DJing, and then later on found out I could rap. But I'm a part of the five elements of hip-hop. As far as breakdancing, producing, DJing, and writing graffiti, it's, yeah, it's all the same.
1: What were the dances? Did Jerry Lewis, the Pee-wee Herman, the Smurf, what were the dances?
3: Yeah, those were all of the dances right there, in- including the original moves that we would make up during breakdancing. You know what I mean? Like, like the head spinning to the windmill. I mean, it's just... Now that I'm older, I feel all those pains in my joints.
1: (laughs) You were down with OPP, weren't you? You could do some OPP splits. Did I see you doing the splits with Naughty by Nature?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I jumped on stage with them during Soul Train and went ham. Bushwick, Bill. Houston, the Fifth Ward. Uh Uh-huh. Bonnie
1: and Clyde are from the Fifth
3: Ward? Um, not really sure, but I just know they died in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Kelly Courts? not really sure if they're from there. I just know that, um... Archie Bell and the Drills did the song Tighten Up, which Janet Jackson used for When I Think of You. They are actually from Fifth Ward, because um, in the movie Platoon, when they're in the helicopter, you hear the music come on. It says, we're Archie Bell and the Drills. We're right here in Houston's Fifth Ward, Texas. And yeah, so that's the only ones I know of for sure that's from Fifth Ward. Yeah.
1: Have you ever been to Shipley's Donuts at all? Mm, been there several times, yeah. What do you think about Shipley's
4: Donuts?
3: Is that a good place to have? Well, it depends if you're getting apple fritter.
1: How <laughs> oh, about Tony's boiled crawfish?
3: Mm, never been there. No, no, no.
1: Bushwick Bill, the early days of Bushwick Bill, the Rhinestone Wrangler. You worked at the Rhinestone Wrangler. What was a rhinestone Wrangler?
3: <laughs> well, first it was the Rhinestone Wrangler, then it was the Thunderdome, but I was a busboy with a DJ Rest in Peace, DJ Lonnie Mac. The biggest act back then was captain jack and dj lonnie mack and lonnie mack got me a job there and i was a bus boy and every time i'd finish cleaning up the glasses and stuff around the club that people was finished with and they would put on any beats from new york i'd get out there and start locking and popping and doing the smurf and the jerry lewis and the Wee herman and you name it
1: and it was dj lonnie mack to introduce you to ready red
3: yeah yeah dj lonnie mack introduced me to dj ready red who introduced me to Lil J and as they say the rest is history
1: What's the importance of Steve Fournier?
3: Oh Steve Fournier, that's um that, that's the record pool. He he's the DJ at Club Flames and like he's the first one to start a record pool in Houston that actually helped people get more together with the other artists that were there and know what other cities and states were doing with, with their music. So he was a he was a very important staple in showing Houston how to unite musically.
1: Yeah. Reddy Red, you lived with him. You invited him to live with you. There were some crazy orgies going down at your house, Bill. What was that like with Reddy Red?
3: Mm, nah, nah, it wasn't nothing like that. Um, He was drunk, and and he couldn't make it back home, so I was staying with my sister, so I asked my sister to let him spend the night till he sobered up. L- Lonnie Mack did that, too. Yeah, but Red always had his own place because you got to remember, he was the only producer for Rap-A-Lot. So it was like he had the first car, he had the first apartment, you know what I mean? The rest of us... We wasn't getting two checks. We were getting checks from, from shows and from record sales. He was getting checks from beats and shows. You know I mean?
1: Bushwick, Bill, did Willie D. want to beat Wilt
3: Chamberlain's record? I wouldn't know. I've never been that interested in knowing what he likes.
1: <laughs> Bushwick, Bill, I want to ask you about the OG Ghetto Boys. What can you tell the people about the Car Freak Ghetto Boys?
3: Okay, well, right here, this dude right here is where the name of the record label Rapalot came from. He is Sir Rapalot. That's Raheem, and that's Jukebox, and this was the first song off of the Making Trouble album. This was the first single. And Raheem, if you remember, he um, got signed to A and M Records, and he put out the song Dance Floor, and he used the Keep on Trucking beat. Yeah, that was the first big deal that Rapalje had for distribution was A and M Records with his solo.
0: Another
1: Ghetto Boys, I want to ask you about. was this particular Ghetto Boys, which you're on, Bill Ghetto Boys be down. What can you tell the people? Ghetto Boys
3: be down. There you are. Okay, now look. If you check out the transition, right? This is what I want you to see right here. Okay, Raheem went solo. Sir Rapalje wasn't in the group anymore the only original one still there is jukebox this this is jukebox right here ready red brought prince johnny c down and they're from trenton new jersey and i'm from brooklyn
1: on the back of this record i noticed there's some thank yous but you don't get any thank yous how come you don't get any thank yous on that record
3: i don't need it i mean my longevity proves all the thank you i need (laughs) and you are bushwick yes bushwick bill from bushwick brooklyn I mean, so that makes everything cool. I don't even think I even wrote anything to anyone. I don't think I thanked anyone. I was just happy to be there around music.
1: But Bill, Willie D heard you doing Rebel Without a Pause. That's how you ended up in the Ghetto Boys? How did you end up in the Ghetto Boys? I
3: don't know who's giving you your information, but it's so weird. Okay, this is what happens. I was hanging out with DJ Red. I didn't know Willie D. I knew Scarface. I knew Lil J because I hung out with him a lot, and we went over the Bible many times on different subject matters. And I'm hanging out with Reddy Red, and the person who actually heard me rapping Rebel Without a Pause was John Beto, and he's the one that, that told Lil J that just see if Bill could rap something. And that's where the whole thing started from. Willie D had nothing to do with the influence of me rapping whatsoever.
1: Bushwick Bill, Gangster Nip, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: did he invent horrorcore?
3: No. Um, What Gangster Nip did is that he is horrorcore. He didn't have to invent it. You wasn't going to hear any other style from him. When the people heard me do Chucky and hear him do his song, they coined the phrase horrorcore, but he was just always like a, how, the best way I could put it is like he was like a Steven Spielberg and uh, Edgar Allan Poe Hitchcock rapper. You know what I mean? Where he could he could take a mood in a moment and tell you how he could s- put five hundred thousand cops head inside of a vacuum cleaner. You know what I mean? <laughs> and talk about migraine headaches, make him sleep in a toaster. It's like, you know, the things he, he would say was like it, it was vivid, like you could actually picture what he's saying. You know what I mean? But he, he'd have a coin phrase horrorcore rap. It was some media dude that said it after hearing Chucky and Gangsta Nip's album. But neither one of us came up with the phrase, no.
1: How about KTSU, Kids Jam? Do you remember that
3: show? Yeah, Leicestershire Pace, right? It yeah. was important porn too, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Leicestershire Pace. Um, Saturday mornings you'll hear Ghetto Boys between 9, 10 and 11, yeah. Did you ever
1: go to Sirius Sounds, the record store? What were the record stores in Houston that you went to?
3: Hmm. Soundwaves, do you remember Soundwaves? Yeah, 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 I remember Soundwaves and um, I'm not sure about the Serious Sound one but I I remember the, I think it was Music Warehouse, something like that, That, the one that's off of Main Street in 610, yeah, yeah.
1: Bushwick Bill, Phantom of the Rap. Yeah. Phantom of the Rap, amazing cover. What do you remember about the cover shoot for this particular record?
3: Oh they picked the old Victorian house in Beverly Hills and you know it was just a concept I had to put opera music with hip-hop because opera music talks about what you're dealing with at the time what you're going through what's political what what's the elevation of everything that's happening you know it was like it was like the CNN of its time is what I look at opera music as so I figure since rap music talks about what's going on around them that opera and rap should be a cool thing to put together.
1: I also want to ask you about this Scarface release, Bushwick Bill. You're on the cover. What was going on there?
3: Because, see, in order to get his record to sell, they put Scarface of the Ghetto Boys and then put every one of the Ghetto Boys on the cover with him. So it was cross-reference, you know what I mean, to let people know that he's still one of us. He's one of the, the, the Ghetto Boys, and this is his solo.
1: Going to Houston OG. This is an important Houston OG group, isn't it? Royal Flush. Oh, yeah. I love it on here because they thank you, quote, Bushwick Bill for bugging. Why were they thanking you for the (laughs) bugging? Because
3: I would would always trip out on on them about hip-hop history. Being that I'm from New York, you know what I mean? I would talk to people about hip-hop history, things that they didn't know at the time. You know what I mean? But... They they were very into hip-hop, but they just didn't grow up around it like I did in Brooklyn, so I knew a little bit more than what they knew. What's the importance of royal flesh to Houston rap? Mm. As far as I'm concerned, it just showed diversity. You know what I mean? It was really about diversity. It was about showing the fact that, you know, you could dance or die. You know, everything didn't have to be gangster and everything didn't have to be about death and misery. It could also be about having a good time and enjoying yourself in, in inside of the the areas of the city that's outside of Fifth Ward. That it, it showed that there was more sides to Houston than just Fifth Ward.
1: Do you remember the L.A. rapper? It was like the L.A. rapper, the song McGregor
3: Park. Mm, I don't remember that one. It's out of Houston. McGregor Park, though, they have slab fests there, though, right? Yeah, yeah but I don't, I don't remember that rapper, but what, what I do remember is that King T is from Third Ward, Houston, so that much I do know. Yeah.
0: I want
1: to ask you about the female, who you kind of referenced a bit before there. I want to ask you right here, Bushwick Bill, and we're here at South by Southwest, what can you tell the people about choice?
3: Oh, she was just the first female gangster rapper out of Houston. You know what I mean? And it was before L.A. And, and Miami had a female gangster rapper. So this is definitely an original.
1: Another Houston thing I want to ask you about right here, Bushwick Bill, The Odd Squad featuring
3: Devin the Dude. No, The Odd Squad is not featuring Devin the Dude. The Odd Squad all, they're all family members Devin the Dude is just one of the members in Odd Squad You got Jug, you got Rob And you got Devin the Dude, that's the Odd Squad That's still the Coffee Brothers They still do songs together You know what I mean? They all grew up in the same neighborhood And it's and it's, it's a really Great album, I like it It's one of my favorites
1: And we have the OG Style
3: Yeah, I know how to play them, I know how to catch him slipping yet They actually went to New York and filmed a video For this single <laughs> Pretty cool, huh?
1: Yeah, actually, speaking of videos and stuff, did you dance in the Raheem video?
3: Yeah, I did. The, I mentioned it earlier, the, 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 dance, the dance flow one, yeah. I actually did some dancing. I like dancing. Dancing is cool.
1: So this record came out on A&M. What do you remember about it coming out on A&M?
3: Um, I just remember it being the, the first big look for rap a lot, you know, getting a major distribution and still being in Houston. You know, we never had to move to L.A. or New York. You know, we stayed right in the South and did, did our thing. Yeah, Raheem is still a great rapper to me.
1: Bushwick Bill? He was only
3: 16 on that album, right?
1: No, how old was he in the Ghetto Boys?
3: Um, in the Ghetto Boys, he was like 14 or 15. Because that, that album came out in 87, but it was done in 86.
1: Bushwick Bill, do you remember touring it all with Third Bass? Yeah, of course.
3: What was that third like? Base, third Bass, Chub Rock, um, Nice and Smooth, Kid in Play, Naughty by Nature, MC Breed. You know I mean? It's... It was a beautiful moment. I mean, to hear the records that you like as well as being able to perform on stage as well. It was pretty cool.
1: MC Search told the Champs podcast about partying with you in a limo and something involving your brother and a brick.
3: Do you remember that
1: all partying in a limo with MC Search?
3: I don't know. Back then I was I used to get drunk a lot. So, I mean, this blurs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah.
1: He said the limo driver was mad because you crushed his hat.
3: I don't even remember that. Those are my drunk days. I mean, that's like trying to get somebody to remember coming through the birth canal. It's, it's like some things you're just not going to be able to recall. You know what I mean? But I do remember hanging out with Third Base. I do remember it was after a show. I do remember it was in New Orleans. But I also remember that I had more than three bottles of liquor. So I know for a fact that I was drunk and... The next day I heard a bunch of stuff, but to tell you I prolifically remember it would be lies, rumors, and allegations associated with such lies. You don't remember what stuff you heard? I I don't remember what stuff I did. Like, if somebody tell you you did something and you're like, okay, I picked up the side of a curb and threw it. It's like, okay, I did that all by myself. It's like, yeah, it was the biggest part of the curb. You picked it up and threw it. And then you tried to jump on the limo driver because he wanted to leave you. And I'm like... So how did I get back to the hotel? There was like the limo driver brought you. So it's like, it doesn't make sense. You see what I'm saying? It's like, if one minute you're being disruptive, I mean, I wouldn't drive me back to the hotel if I'm being disruptive. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't really get it, to be honest with you.
1: But Bill? for remembering, though, do you remember getting booed in New York? Were the ghetto boys booed in New York?
3: Um, that was during the New Music Seminar, yeah. And then a year later, we was at Madison Square Garden getting cheered by over 20,000 people. So... Six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. Still 12.
1: How do you react when people are booing? You know, in all the years performing Bushwick Bill, how do you react when somebody's booing? What do you do? What's your advice to people when they get booed? Just keep
3: performing, because that's what we did. That was our first time performing in New York. They booed, and we never got booed anywhere else. So we just kept performing, and for... The ones that was booing was because we were calling women bitches. And the ones that weren't booing was the ones that understood the street rap we were doing. So you had half the audience cheering us on. You had the other half talking about, don't disrespect our black queens. So that's what was happening.
1: Well, is it true you're one of the only people in the entire world, if not the only person, to have a birth certificate and a death certificate?
3: Yeah. When I lost my eye, I died on June 19th, 1991, at approximately 435 and I didn't come to until in the morgue after 7 o'clock. And they were actually getting me ready for autopsy. So that's at Ben Bentob. They could tell you the whole thing. I was DOA on arrival. They have all the information right there. Ben used Houston.
1: And then you woke up in the morgue and then took a piss on a cop?
3: Yes. I had to pee so bad I pulled out the catheter and I jumped down and, and the cop just stood there like this and I just peed. And then I realized what I was doing because you got to remember, I didn't know I was dead. You know what I mean? So I just had the biggest urge to pee and I jumped down. Then, of course, he ran out of the room and the technician ran out of the room for the morgue and, yeah, it was, it was a serious moment.
1: And when they said you're dead, you really were dead like you had a toe tag on, too?
3: I had a toe tag on. I was in the morgue, dead. You know what I mean? They didn't have me in the hallway. They didn't have me inside of a room waiting to transfer me. I was actually on the cold slab getting ready to be pushed in. You know what I mean? So, yeah.
1: And then how much later did this LP cover happen? When did this LP cover
3: shot happen? Um, the day before my surgery to remove the eye.
1: And you had no idea this was going to happen? People just showed up with cameras?
3: They just, um, the hospital had me drugged up. So I was being prepared for surgery. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink anything. They had me on a bunch of medicine. And I didn't see the album cover until after it hit the shelves. But, I mean, such is life.
1: Were- I mentioned
3: it in Ever So Clear. Remember I said? Ain't this a trip, G? I took a picture for an album cover. You know what I mean? So it's all in the song, Ever So Clear. You know what I mean?
1: Well, my friend's dad went bowling with Scarface's dad. Did you ever go bowling with Scarface's dad? What were the parents of the Ghetto Boys like?
3: Oh, no, I never met I never met Reddy Red's parents, Johnny C's parents, Jukebox's parents, Willie D's parents. I met Face's grandmother, and I met his mom once, his sister once, and his uncle, and his dad, yeah. Bill, what was your encounter with Michael Jackson like? You met Michael Jackson? Um, that was in Japan when he was on that, that Masquerade whatever album. I was out there in 93. And I, just, I just happened to meet him on a high buy level. You know what I mean? Because we happened to be on the same flight or whatever. So it was pretty cool. I mean, I was like, hey. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm performing in the Tokyo Hall downstairs. He's performing upstairs in the Tokyo Dome. So that was pretty cool.
1: Dr. Dre, stranded on death row. He got to do that amazing intro. What do you remember about that amazing intro for The Chronic?
3: Um, I remember Warren G. and Snoop inviting me to the studio. And Dr. Dre's in there with the, one of the guys from a rap group called Poor, Broken, Lonely. And I heard the theme to Stranded on Death Row, which reminded me of Dark Shadows, an old radio TV show. And I asked him if I could say something. And he said, no, because I have to finish this album mix. And I was like, come on, just let me say something. And if it doesn't work, then cool. I kept bothering him till he let me say it. then he said, can you do that again? And then that's how I got on it.
1: Bushwick Bill, what was early Destiny's Child like?
3: Mm, I don't even know. I remember them as girl times, and um, they were a pretty cool group, but you could always tell that they were going to blow up because they were dedicated. And we worked at the same studio, Digital Services, off of Golfton and Chimney Rock, yeah.
1: But, Bill, what's the parallelogram theory?
3: Well, the parallelogram theory just explains how... It- Everything runs in in parallel. What you live on on the streets, what you place in your records, it's kind of like karma. You know what I mean? It's like whatever you put out is what what you get back, and it all runs in a parallel universe between your your thoughts, your deeds, and your actions in real time. <laughs> mhm.
1: Bushwick Bill.
3: Words, ain't you? Okay, cool.
1: Bushwick Bill. The song size ain't. Shit. Yeah. You- talk about quote shit a dick and a cigarette
3: yes i said i will punk you out and make you be my bitch let nigga shit on his dick for a cigarette i was talking in jail terms because that's what people do in jails so i was like if you're gonna write a song you have to write it in a way that the people who've been to jail know it and the ones who haven't been there could ask the question and find out you know so that was just a song written about what can go on in jail you know, because if you saw the movie Scared Straight you remember how they were talking to, to those kids and telling them what they would make them like if they came in there I'm talking about the original Scared Straight that's where a lot of the ideas from the song came from
1: Bushwick Bill, are there many songs written about you or titled Bushwick Bill mm, not that I know of, no there's one by Wesley Willis called Bushwick Bill
3: there is? I didn't know that.
1: There is indeed. He's passed away, but these are some of the lyrics. Wesley Willis's Bushwick Bill. You are a gangster rapper. You are a gangster rap artist. You can really knock it out. You can really whoop a camel's ass.
3: Wowzer. That's tight. Pretty cool. Um, I did hear that um, the artist from Sublime, the one that, that passed away, that he, he mentioned me on one of his albums. He sampled the Chucky song. I just don't know which album that was. I've been trying to find it and listen to it. But that's the only thing I've ever heard of. And Ice-T on the Power album. Ladies, we're not just talking about you because some of you niggas are bitches too. He sampled that from Size and Shit. That's like the only two things I know now the new one that you just told me.
1: Bushwick, Bill, here we are in Austin, Texas. You have a song, kind of Austin-related, Sex on the Floor.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called, it's called Hardcore Sex on the Floor, yeah. With
1: Sit Down Servant. That's a great tune. I love it.
3: Oh, yeah, thanks. It's, it's pretty cool.
1: It talks about places you had sex. Where have you had sex? You got a misdemeanor for having sex?
3: Um, I said I once... Um, I think I said I once got a misdemeanor for having sex in a student lounge. Yeah. <laughs> What the details surrounding that? High school? Um, yeah. You know, I was young. Yeah, you know, I go. You know, and I mentioned the soccer field, and I mentioned the radio station and the boiler room. Yeah. You know these things happen, man. You become famous, and the, the draws drop. You know, I'm talking about it's like you ain't even got to be an R&B singer. It's like you know that they only with you because you're famous. It's not because you're you're handsome, good-looking, or have any kind of attributes that would make you anything fantastic as a as a person to look at but your fame sometimes illuminate these things that you know jewelry does
1: <laughs> Bushwick bill quote punks give me respect
3: yeah do because if anybody try me I'm I'm a stand up for mine I mean that's just me but you'd have to catch me when I'm drunk and then bother me and then I will fight every and anybody in the room. But now that I don't drink anymore, it's like people say some dumb stuff, I just look at them, start laughing, and walk away. You've helped kids quite a bit. The Robert Johnson experience. What's that all about? Um, It was about some kids that were joining gangs and, you know, teenage pregnancy and and going to jail and having murder raps and and all of these different charges before you're 17 years old. And I just grew up in New York around all of that, and I just feel all kids need a fair chance. And I just had to tell them from my experience how many friends I lost in one summer and throughout the years of growing up, and, and that really... If you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. If you don't focus on what your purpose and goal in this life is, then you'll always be a follower and and not a leader. At least set a goal for yourself and try to accomplish something beyond what you think you know. Try to research life and find out where do you fit in in the great scheme of this puzzle of life. Because the world is broken into billions of pieces and we're all trying to find a piece to live in. Find out what your piece is.
1: Bushwick Bill, back to punk for a second. You like Danzig? What other punk stuff do you like? You like Danzig?
3: Yeah, Danzig is cool. We, we was on the same label with Rick Rubin. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. I I like Anthrax too, and, and I like Twisted Sisters. I mean, I like a lot of music, man. And, oh, I also like um, what's his name? The one that did Sid and Nancy, Sid Vicious. I like I like Sid Vicious, and I like Billy Idol. I mean, I like I like a lot of music, man.
1: Bishop Bill, you're wearing a backpack right now, and I also saw you wearing a Yoda backpack. That was incredible. What's the Yoda backpack you have?
3: Well, I decided to put the Chucky down because if you look at the whole Chucky mentality, even when he gets a chance to come back, he doesn't seem to quite get it right. You know what I'm saying? And then Yoda is more like underestimate my size, do you? You know, He's more about the wisdom and he's he's more about rolling with the, the force of being better. That's what being a Jedi is, living above the lie.
1: (laughs) That was your Yoda backpack. Where'd you get your Yoda backpack?
3: I actually got it out here at um, South Byte last year.
1: Bushwick Bill, you have a freestyle you might be able to kick out for us about warfare?
3: Yes, I got one for you right now. Before the Lord rebuked the devil, he'd been recruiting reinforcements. Use the people closest to you and familiar spirits as his best sources. So lace your feet with readiness and preparation of gospel of peace as you walk these streets of the beast. A soldier that's at war, stay alert, keep the sword of spirit, which is the word of God as his weapon. He stands firm, he's never at ease. So be aware of the devil's wild, cause the devil's running wild. This how he on it, this how he formats his trials. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You're more than a conqueror. When he sums his horsemen to ensure you're in store for a horrible portion, but I'll stand firm against his henchmen. With the word of God and the helmet of salvation, gets this ungodly situation with alert readiness and preparation. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty powers. When the day of evil comes in that final hour, you could stand because it's spiritual warfare. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Stand for the Lord God; let His will be done. Fight the good fight of faith, because God's on your side. In Christ, you'll ride; for in Him, you'll never die. Spiritual warfare. But well, anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Um, just be yourself, man, and and. Don't conform or adapt. Don't even adjust your screen. You know what I mean? Just really look at life for what it is. They say that it's black and white in a gray area. Okay, well, look at the total spectrum of the complete area. You know what I mean? And find out where your happiness lies. What makes you happy? What you want to do with your life? And what can you do to add to this great world that we live in and whether or not you want to make your mark on society or in society, it's up to you to determine where you fit in the grand scheme of us just living, period.
1: Bushwick Bill, why should people care about Bushwick Bill?
3: they don't have to as, as long as I love me I'm happy because if, if I really was worried about what people thought about me my arms are short you know what I mean I'm short I'm not average height I can't reach everything everybody else could reach if I would have believed the things that people told me when I was younger I wouldn't even think I could accomplish half the things I've accomplished so they don't really have to like me what they need to do is love themselves because I love me and like me and I'm happy with me all by my damn self
1: well, thanks so much, Bushwick Bill. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do doo do 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 Hello, can I
3: speak with Bushwick Bill? Hello, this is Bushwick. motherfucking Bill.
4: Yes, sir, I'm calling to inform you that you've been uh, drafted into the United States military.
3: United States wants me for
4: watching
3: <laughs> Excuse me, sir. First <laughs> word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, hey, what's up?
4: You need to uh, contact your nearest recruiting office immediately, please.
3: I see you're not hip to what's happening. I don't give a fuck about you and all that bullshit you're stressing.
2: Fuck a war. To explain, let me kick it to you a little something like this. Motherfucker war, that's how I feel. Sending a nigga to the... That's what I tried to three.
1: you?
4: (laughs) I'm John Lydon. I'm half a century young and looking good at it.
1: And John, Pill are back on the road. Who's in Pill these days?
4: Bruce Smith on drums, uh, Lou Edmonds on uh, various assorted instruments from uh, the Middle East, uh, including a guitar for those who like western twangs, and Got on bass.
1: John, I thought it's really interesting that Bruce Smith is back in the band because he also played with the pop group and the Slits. Yeah. Have have you heard the new Slits LP?
4: No, that's nothing to do with it.
1: But have you heard the new Slits? No, I haven't. I thought it's really cool that Paul Cook's daughter is playing in the Slits. Oh, that's been
4: quite some time, that.
1: Holly Cook is in the Slits.
4: Yeah, that's that's just quite some time. Uh, Uh, my my wife is, uh, Ariana, the lead singer's mother of the Slit, so we're all interrelated.
1: John Lydon, do you know that Sue Catwoman's kids have a band, too?
4: No, I don't know. Gosh, I must be out of date. Do you find all this out on Twitter?
1: exactly they're called good weather girl and it made me think when was the last time you saw Sue? oh i remember the weather girls <laughs> no not the g- weather Girls. although they were good
4: Oh, i used to love the weather girls they were hilarious
1: when did you last see the weather girls
4: oh that's ages back now but me i like all kinds of music when was the last
1: time you saw sue catwoman john lyden
4: long time ago why do you insist on adopting that john lyden monica
1: well, should I just call you Johnny, then, or yeah, John? Yeah,
4: John. John, please. It sounds a bit too formal, and uh, it's rather like being interrogated by uh, Norwegian police.
1: <laughs> okay, I guess it's just to help identify you to the radio listeners out there. And keep okay, people Okay,
4: gotcha. So I understand what the format is.
1: In case people are wondering who I am talking to, but they will recognize the voice from many years of rockin'. And also, John, you are a gooner, aren't you? You are a gooner.
4: Uh, I've supported Arsenal since I was four years old, yes. I would be very careful of the term gooner, though, because that's a term uh, which, in its original format, was uh, applied to the Arsenal football hooligans (laughs) and not the regular fans.
1: I was phoning you here from Vancouver, BC, and we once had an NASL team called the Vancouver Whitecaps, and there were some connections between the Whitecaps and Arsenal, and I was wondering if you could tell the people about Alan Ball. He used to play for the Whitecaps.
4: Oh, Alan Ball of Arsenal fame?
1: Yes, he played for the Whitecaps.
4: Oh, most wonderful player. Loved that man's skill and style on the ball. his career really was made at Everton, uh, and he kind of finished up at Arsenal. But you know, we love him still—a legend. He
1: played for the Vancouver Whitecaps, helped him win. The- I doubt if he does that now.
4: I mean, he must be nearly nearly sixty. Well, he did in
1: 1979. He helped win the Soccer Bowl.
4: But I was just thinking, there's quite. That's a few- fantastic. No, Do- I'm really pleased you you brought that up because. Right? Uh, I love to hear of like uh, of old players doing well, you know, in in their retirement years. Another because far far too many of them are, I don't know, sent to the knacker's yard, you know, like poor old horses for dog food.
1: John, another player that played on the Whitecaps from Arsenal was John Samuels. Do you remember? Oh
4: yes, Johnny Samuels.
1: What can you tell the people about Johnny Samuels?
4: Well, he was an odd player. Some didn't like him at all, because he could be fairly inconsistent. But for me, he wore the red and white of Arsenal, therefore perfect. I'm sure. very loyal to my Arsenal. Yes. In fact, I'm a loyal person generally, except to uh, the royal family.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for answering these Arsenal questions, because I've one last one here about Arsenal. We had Pierce O'Leary play for the Whitecaps. No pierce o'leary who is david o'leary's brother oh that's fun and i think david o'leary isn't he the classic arsenal player isn't he one of the most famous arsenal yes players yes ever? and
4: then he, he went on to be an unclassic manager for such teams as leeds united <laughs> Uh, I used to kind of, uh, David O'Leary used to drink in a pub I used to drink in, around the back of Finsbury Park. Was that the Sir... He comes from a time when Arsenal players actually used to uh, socialize with the locals.
1: Was that the Sir George Roby pub? No, nope, it was the Moray Arms. What was the Sir George Roby pub like? That was quite a famous pub, wasn't it?
4: It was all right. It was a local it's an it was a pub that used to celebrate the comedian George Robey, so it was a it was a very good atmosphere to be growing up in, surrounded by reminiscences of comedy. John, it, and, it, and for me, a perfect backdrop to my career.
1: Well, John Lydon, it's an honor to speak to you, and I've been trying to speak to you since, believe it or not, October the 14th, 1984, when Pill played in Vancouver at the War Memorial Gymnasium with punk rock band DOA. Do you remember that gig at all? 1984, Vancouver. You were wearing pajamas and were covered in spit.
4: I remember not many gigs, because, as you must understand, I've performed almost continuously for nearly 30 years now. Uh, but I I always have fond memories of Canada. Uh, in particularly Toronto, because I have family there. They, you will always run into these idiots that just love to spit at you. And they, because they've read it in the newspapers and have been ill-informed that that be the done thing. It should not be the done thing. You're spreading your disease. Uh, I, I had, when I was young, a very, very serious illness called meningitis, which put me in a coma for three months. Uh, When I came out of that coma, apart from losing my memory, some of the side issues I've had to live with all my life is very, very bad sinus problems. And so when I'm on stage, every now and again, I have to clear either my nostril or my throat from phlegm. I overproduce those two issues. Uh, But I do not spit at an audience, and I do not expect them to spit at me. I always have a bucket neatly placed. So, if spitting be your proclivity in life, bring your own bucket.
1: John, has the spitting stopped? Do people still spit?
4: Of course. Of course. How about... Ages him? ago. And I'm touring now with Public Image, which is a very different kind of audience, really, where uh, people don't feel the need to try to be ignorant, which is uh, an unfortunate side issue of the pistols that... Uh, Many of our audience uh, got it wrong. Uh, we have we're to uh, progress the human spirit, not digress it.
1: I remember, though, I didn't make it to the gig of just hearing reports. And they weren't
4: pajamas. That was my idea of style.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
4: Because there also was... black and white stripes, yes?
1: Maybe I was confused because there's also the keyboard player for the Boomtown Rats, Johnny Fingers.
4: Oh, who... very different. He didn't have elasticated cuffs on the ankles or the waist. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> There'd be the style issue.
1: John, Jim Walker, the first pill drummer, was from Vancouver. I once asked Paul Cook about Jim Walker, and he said, you'll have to ask John about that. What can you tell the people about Jim Walker from Well, they Vancouver? wouldn't have known
4: each other, so Paul was dead right. Uh, Jim Walker was a very strange character, uh... He seemed open and friendly enough until he joined Pill, and I didn't quite understand the reasons for it, but he went very dark and somber there for a while, was... which was a shame, and, and he didn't last very long.
1: It was pretty incredible, though, a guy from Vancouver moving to England and then ending up in a band with you, John. Well, if you're Christmas. good
4: enough, that's what happens.
1: Was that all through Melody Maker or through an ad? How did he end up in the actual band?
4: I think I'd spotted an ad in a paper and, and kind of unwittingly thought, well, if, you know, why not? But it, it paid off. I mean, he was an excellent drummer.
1: It was great, too, like from Vancouver, BC. Right. And
4: he introduced, you know, a, a very nice free-flowing drum style, which uh, definitely gave wind to the theme tune of, of Public Image being Public Image. miss him dearly very near apparently he's at the moment working in film
1: oh really he also later formed the band the pack didn't he the band
4: yeah well he also moved to israel to work in a kibbutz for some god unearthly reason i mean jim's jim's a strange one but fair play to him
1: very near Vancouver is Seattle, Washington. And Pill have a song called Seattle. Was that song inspired by a Lazy Boy chair that was stolen by the band Green River, who opened up for you when Pill played in Seattle?
4: Uh, pardon, I didn't understand any of that. You talk too much and too too slurry. Oh, okay,
1: John Lydon. Here it is. You have the song Seattle by the yes. band Pill. When you play
4: well, firstly, I'll tell you how Seattle was written. Is because we had a week off in the middle of a tour and we were stuck in Seattle. And so we coined the song title, Seattle. It wasn't at the time very relevant to the song, really. But then years and years and years later were those riots you had in Seattle over the World Trade Order. Yes. And if you, if you check out some of the refrains in the song about palaces, barricades, threats, me promises. It shows a great deal of foresight on my part.
1: I had heard John Lydon that the song Seattle was inspired also by a lazy boy chair, like a chair that had been stolen from you by the band that opened for a you. A chair? A chair had been <laughs> stolen. Like... <laughs> The
4: bandit. I'm, sh- I'm sure if that was the case, a chair would have been mentioned.
1: Because <laughs> apparently it was about a band. Yeah, ban-
4: but listen, when I write songs, they're not obtuse, right? <laughs> and if it was about a deck chair, I would have said so. So that's nonsense.
1: John, when you did I'm a Celebrity, did you think about the movie Carry On Camping at all?
4: I suppose it was in my psychology somewhat, being British and being that that's our our fun loving approach to such events. But no, mostly I did that to raise money for some charities that I was affiliated with. And I raised a substantial amount. Carry On Camping is. That was my only reason for doing it. Carry On
1: Camping is probably the best Carry On movie, isn't it, though?
4: It's kind of like how the English really are. I mean, we—you know—we're—we're we're very, very good at taking things seriously when we need to, but when we don't need to, we're very good at having fun.
1: John Lydon, did you like being on Judge Judy?
4: No. What I think—well, let me deal with the Judge Judy issue. That was a false accusation. And the man who made it clearly went for fame and fortune, rather dealing with any said accusation in a proper law court, he went to the TV. Uh, Judge Judy seen the uh, the falseness in his claim, and indeed I won hands down. Uh, I didn't enjoy the environment at all, and the prospect of being judged on by, by a, a, a TV company utterly appalled me. I, uh, Uh, There's a worry I have about that kind of show, that that might just lead into trial by TV, as indeed the OJ fiasco showed, uh, where how a sensible judgment was not reached because of the TV aspect of it.
1: Because I guess that's what I was wondering is, should all rock disputes be handled with Judge Judy?
4: No. And indeed, I don't think you should judge the law as entertainment,
1: would you yourself ever consider going back to school and trying to become Judge Johnny at all? No. John Lydon, Time Zone uh-huh. with Africa Bombada was probably the first rock record with hip hop. How did you hook yeah, up with. Not
4: probably, it was.
1: How did you hook up with Africa Bombada? Uh,
4: mutual respect of the same kind of music. Uh, in the early days of. of uh of what we call hip-hop, which later turned into rap, people had much more open minds about uh, about music. And you could be involving all genres of music and and basically balancing them into a jolly good evening of dance with some social awareness lyrics. Uh, and so I took great joy of, of working with Africa Bambata and I think we made a really excellent record. Unfortunately, of course, it didn't grab the uh, the mainstream headliners that later uh, pieces of work with uh, ACDC, uh, what was it? No, Aerosmith, and uh, uh, I can't remember his name now, Run-T-M-C. Because they definitely they followed on our heels.
1: How did you get together with the band Left Field, John?
4: Um, Through mutual acquaintances and... Uh, I used to work in uh, play centers for problem children before the Sex Pistols. My job was to uh, keep them off the streets and keep them safe and and teach them a little thing or two about life. And indeed one of Left Field, Neil, did the same job. And through a mutual friend who also did the same kind of work, uh, we got together. It took uh, just a little over a year before we fine-tuned it down to a proper rhythm. And the lyrics flowed naturally. Unfortunately for us, and for me in particular, because I live in Los Angeles, you see, uh, the record was done some three months before its release. But on the day of release in Los Angeles, we had those dreadful forest fires. And so the refrain in the song, Burn, Hollywood, Burn, was automatically presumed that I was celebrating the forest fires of L.A., I live in L.A. I would never celebrate the burning of my house or anybody else's. Wrongly judged.
1: But I think you are doing that song on this current tour, aren't you with Uh Pill?
4: I enjoy doing it, yes. In a, in, in a slight... Uh, well, yes, a more, more seriously, definitely different way. Because uh, that song, uh, in the studio, we used a lot of programming. And it, it was computer-led, but when, when I play live with Pill we like to play it uh, analog. We like to play it on instruments. Although public image is well known for its its use of uh, technology, it's not the only thing we can do.
1: John, I have the Sex Pistols on 8-track, believe it or not. I have the Sex Pistols on 8 Oh, 8-
4: that's showing your age.
1: 8-track cartridge. Actually, I bought it a couple of years ago for $25, which actually was a bargain. I heard it was going for 100 But I've researched this, and I've found out that Pill- yeah, you, you Have
4: you still found a deck that plays 8-track?
1: Yes, you can find them everywhere. Lots very of-
4: good. I'd I'd like- I've, I've still got some very old Roy Orbison. <laughs>
1: Well, what I was wondering is Pills 2nd Edition, the metal box, Pills 2nd Edition in America, came out on 8-track. Do you have one at all, Johnny? I don't
4: think it came out on 8-track, but it's definitely been re-released, uh, I think now, three or four years ago. I did a small deal with a very small label where we re-released it on vinyl.
1: Apparently, according to the internet, it's actually on 8-track, Pills 2nd Edition. Uh,
4: somebody might actually have it on 8-track. I don't know how it got there. It was never part of any arrangement I've had with a record company.
1: Did you think that when you were doing album that you might have had 8-track? You know, like album, cassette, t-shirt, 8-track? Did that ever come into no, discussion? No, because the
4: technology was already out of date.
1: John Lydon, do you like Devo? Yeah. I had heard that Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo was asked to be your replacement in the Sex Pistols. Did you ever hear that? No. John, what's good about Samsonite travel pants?
4: I don't suppose very much at all. They're uncomfortable, and they cause terrible crease marks on your trousers. Although Samsonite, they make fairly decent suitcases, Uh, made a brilliant line in travel pants uh, some years ago, which I still have to this day. Uh, What I liked most about them was they had zips from the ankle all the way up to the hip on each leg. And you could open it up, and then there was a nylon mesh which would let your legs breathe more easily in hotter climates. Spe- very, very excellent. They look very smart. Be- I could not understand why they never took off as an idea.
1: Samsonite travel pants.
4: Mm-hmm. Did you
1: use those when you went to South Africa? Because you did some shark cage diving. That no, was
4: incredible. I, I think you'd be rather insane in, in, in nylon mesh and thin, thin linen <laughs> to be climbing up and down mountains in South Africa because I met many a gorilla pack there. And and you certainly can't be wearing them diving for great whites.
1: When you were in Africa, did you visit Ginger Baker at all?
4: No. He was in a completely different part of the continent. What's it? It's Africa's a very large country. I just
1: thought, because maybe you had done some stuff with them before, that you might. Yeah, no.
4: When you do these kind of filming, you're on a very tight budget, and you don't get any time really to go off wandering.
1: What was it like with the sharks when you were down with the sharks in a cage?
4: Thrilling, because I'd studied marine biology and had an interest in sharks, I suppose, ever since I'd seen Jaws uh, and naturally followed it through. Uh, They're much more magnificent in the flesh, shall we say, than they are dead or stuffed in museums. They're a thrilling creature, and I totally respect them. John, you did... A... As indeed, I do all, all walks of life, all frames of life.
1: Iggy Pop, John, did an ad in the UK for insurance. Naughty Holder from Slade did a great fish and chips ad, and you did an amazing one for butter.
4: Yeah, well, that was a product I actually believed and backed and supported because uh, British products uh, in Britain are getting a, a hard shift of it. And foreign exports are killing what what is British commerce. And so I was quite happy to back that.
1: It it had one of the best enemy headlines ever. The New Music Express had the headline, John Lydon revives country life butter sales. That was a great headline. Yes,
4: apparently by some 87%. So it was a successful campaign all round. But the, the point being, that uh, at the time, there was a lot of negativity that was uh, slung at me, that I was somehow selling out and becoming commercial. Well, I will always be commercial when it's backing British product. Indeed, I am a British product myself.
1: And you are John Lydon. And, John, when shooting that ad, I noticed a whole bunch of cows chasing after you. What was that like? How was well, it there you-
4: was something like a script. But the people that um, picked me for this campaign had the common sense to let me play with that. And said so it was a lot of improvising, which is why it works so well. That's the real John having fun.
1: Preparing for this pill tour, John, what sort of food do you eat? My friend, Ronnie... Country life butter. <laughs> What sort of other food or what sort of drinks do you have? Because my friend Ronnie from the band Namuffs saw you in Venice at one time having a smoothie. Do you like smoothies? No,
4: he's telling a lie. I don't drink smoothies.
1: What do you drink then to prepare for a tour? Uh,
4: Brussels sprout juice.
1: John... At one time, you gave a special sandwich with salty-tasting mayo. Yeah, well, we'll
4: not go there. Thank you.
1: Okay. How about the Quadrophenia? Phil Daniels recently said you, John, were almost Jimmy in Quadrophenia. Yes,
4: I was. Who are you? Yeah, up- I, I went for that role because Pete Townsend asked me to, but uh, I had a, a somewhat of a disagreement with the Who's manager, and so it, it never came about. Which is a shame because uh, although Phil Daniels did a fantastic job, gotta say, but I could have added something to that. What did
1: you think, John, about the mod revival bands like the Purple Hearts or the Chords or the Merton Parkas?
4: Were you kind of. I'm never very much interested in revivalism in that way. uh, Because uh, I have a better term for it, I call it genre hopping. It's too easy for you to pick up on what somebody else has done, and then it's like stealing someone's coat and claiming it as your own, when you really should be spending your time creating something completely new from your own sense of individuality. Understand?
1: I do indeed, and is that what the Public Image Limited song Memories was about? No. John, I was also curious about Hawkwind over the years people have wondered what exactly was your role like were you their LSD supplier were you another? <laughs> were you their roadie were you another hairy in the crowd what was your role John
4: <laughs> well uh, off the top of my head I can't think of a suitable refrain for, the, for the, the letters LSD but no that was not my role they were a band that were great fun live And I used to love at an early age uh, traveling off to uh, the the rock festivals, and usually on my own. And uh, Hawkwind would always be playing those kind of events. And I I love that sense of community you you could get from the very early uh, uh, festivals. Uh, These days, those kind of festivals, they're too orchestrated. You feel manipulated, and you can't even go to the toilet without a credit card. And so it's, uh, it's taken on a different, different role for me. It's not really community run or community uh, appreciated. It's more constructed and contrived. But at the same time, good bands do play them. I do them myself from time to time, because indeed you have to, otherwise you'll starve. That's the business we live in.
1: John, when you're going through customs, you've seen an awful lot.
4: Did you actually... No, I'd put it a better way than that. The customs have seen an awful lot of me. <laughs> yeah, ba- boom, yes,
1: they have indeed.
4: <laughs> but I was curious... I don't know what it is they're looking for. But honestly, it's, it's, it's back to Brussels sprout juice, which uh, I will always... And, and baked beans and cabbage. Uh, I will eat these things before I take a long flight because I'm aware of what customs may be trying to pull on me at the other end, or pull off me, to be more accurate.
1: Didn't you once encounter a customs guy that had an actual mohawk? That must have made you feel at ease, a customs guy? Well,
4: it's like, the times they are are changing I, I found it deeply hilarious and, and heartwarming in, in an odd way. Do you still like- You know, welcome to Britain. Yes, we're going to strip search you with mohawks. <laughs> just to make you fit in. (laughs) It's odd that a hairdo that's actually the symbol uh, against repression has been incorporated into repression. But on the other hand, I do kind of understand airport security because, uh, as I've let it be known, me and my wife were once booked on that Lockerbie flight that Pan Am Special, and we missed that flight uh, because my wife was slow at packing, so we changed it to the next day. And if we were on that plane, we would have been blown up. Uh, so I do understand airport security because I, I don't think anyone innocent should, should have to suffer that way. And it's not so much you being blown to smithereens. It's, it's what it did to my family members who had all presumed that I'd caught the flight. And seen that on the news, that it was blown out of the sky. It's it's quite, quite, you know, unnerving. And so my view on terrorism, as indeed my view on all all acts of violence, is uh, negative.
1: John, how about the Exploited and Crass? You've expressed an interest in liking those bands. Have you seen Exploited? They're still on the circuit, out there playing. Oh,
4: they are what they are. They, you know, they stick to their guns. So it's a limited range but that's fine for them if they do what they enjoy and they do it really well and, and so more power to them people yeah. who do this because they like what they're doing are the people that interest me
1: well for instance the vibrators are still going the vibrators are still playing i think they're so they
4: should with a battery change anything is possible
1: Ah, boom! Yes, they are still rocking, and we're still rocking here with John Lydon, live from his place in Los Angeles, California. I'm Nardwar, the human serviette. Pill are coming up on tour very soon. Going to be hitting all the stages all across North America. And, John, I was wondering, did the Ruts play better reggae than the Clash? Who? The Ruts. Did the Ruts play better reggae than The Clash?
4: Neither of them, and they shouldn't have bothered to try and mess with a musical format that neither of them uh, understood too well. I mean, apart from my many things in life, I mean, I I was DJing reggae in reggae clubs uh, at 15 years old. Um, And because for me, where I come from, Finsbury Park, was a very working class, mixed-culture neighbourhood. So reggae, to me, was very naturally part of my backdrop. I didn't think it was with those two outfits. And I think it showed. And, And also the police, when they went into that Roxanne vibe, they were on the wrong side of the hoof.
1: John, what about the band Magma? They are amazing. They had their own...
4: Yeah, truly, truly masterful. Stunning work.
1: They had their own language. What can you tell the people about Magma and their own language?
4: Well, there were several of those bands, and there was a term for it. Uh, Europa something or the other. I can't remember now off the top of my head. I found the the new language part a little intellectual and a little contrived and conceited. But, uh... As the European community has been evolving over the decades, um, there is a kind of frong, italiana, deutsche, englishness that's creeping in. It's, it's quite a good thing to be uh, multi, multi-languaged and indeed open to multiculturalism. It means no more war, you understand?
1: And that's what we that, want. That we
4: start to celebrate our differences rather than bitterly oppose them something the Republicans in this country could do well to learn from.
1: John, was the Cannes remix record called Sacrilege? Was that name? I,
4: I don't know the remix. Uh, uh, for me, Can was as it was originally, as I used to see them live.
1: Because I heard that they named the record Sacrilege because you wouldn't do a remix. In other words, it would be sacrilegious to mess with Can material, and that's why they called it Sacrilege.
4: Who did the remix?
1: Well, I thought that you were asked to do a remix.
4: Oh, I was... Uh, yes, this is true. My gosh, this is so long back now. Um, I wouldn't do it. And they called it... Separate. No, I see, I see no reason to, because it's... Why do I need to stick my name on their hard-earned work? If they want to remix their own material, that's well and fine. They have every right to. But the last thing a band that good need is a bunch of outsiders hobnobbing with, with with their material kind of destructive really how ab- would record companies allow what took so much effort to be so original in the first place to be just thrown out there to a bunch of preposterous new young brats on the block it's not a good thing
1: do you yourself have any can bootlegs how much can no no,
4: no i never ever ever have bought a bootleg in my life I never will. It's uh thievery.
1: What do you remember about playing with screaming Lord Such? Uh
4: how funny he was, not much else. Uh he actually did understand reggae, and he did it extremely well. He was bang on the money because he was brought up in that environment. It wasn't him jumping on a bandwagon. Screaming Lord Such was pure, good, jolly, decent reggae, actually.
1: Here is a letter from June eighteenth, 1976, from the New Musical Express. And it says, I'd love to see the pistols make it. Maybe they'll be able to afford some clothes, which don't look like they've been slept in. And do you know John Lydon... How
4: sweet. But the point being, yes, many of my clothes when I'm on tour, I do sleep in. Because you can't be lugging huge suitcases of stuff around with you. It slows you down. And when you have to leave very early in the morning from one hotel to another and travel great distances, the last thing you want to be doing is remembering where all your different accoutrements are. And so, you know, it's nice, but unless you're volunteering to carry my suitcases around for me, I'm going to look like i slept in my clothes, and that's it, period, the end.
1: (laughs) And do you know who wrote that letter? Stephen Morrissey. He was the one that wrote that letter. Stephen Uh, Morrissey. Morrissey. Oh, him with the flowers. Yes, he wrote that. In June 18th. 19- How
4: sweet! He'd do anything to get famous. <laughs> Send that man a dandelion. Did
1: you ever see him around L.A. at all?
4: Uh, he came to a Pistols gig we did here at the Greek Theater.
1: He didn't mention the letter that he wrote then from 1976. No, States.
4: that would be utterly ridiculous. Um, How about... The- it's very, very difficult to meet people backstage because you're full of angst and care about your own gig and you can't be getting involved in, in, a, in, in distracting conversations. I've never found it easy to socialize at my own venues. I'd much rather leave, you know, as soon as I come off the stage, because uh, it's too hard. You're not in any fit frame of mind to to debate anything on any serious level, because you're exhausted. How about
1: some of your old friends from Britain? Have you had them over? Has Billy Idol ever been to your house? Have you ever talked to him very much in L.A.?
4: He turned up here years ago with Steve Jones on a bunch of Harley Davidsons. Oh, and I think the Clash bass player was with them. And I told them to go away because the noise was appalling.
1: (laughs) Billy Idol was recently asked to be the singer of Aerosmith. Do you think he would be a good choice as the singer of Aerosmith, Billy Idol? what's wrong
4: with the current bloke? I
1: think there was some sort of issues going on for a while, and they needed a replacement temporarily. Oh, that's
4: sad. No, you shouldn't do that. Billy wouldn't be into that, would he? Do you know what I mean? When you do that, you're taking something away. You're not making it better. Although, Paul Rogers singing Queen songs kind of worked.
1: Yes, and of course, Paul Rogers lives in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, as well. Does
4: he now? (laughs) Have I put my psychic left foot in it? Yes,
1: you have indeed. Another Vancouver connection. Paul Rogers
4: is stunning. I've seen him recently sing. It was fantastic. I just said, there's something good about that bloke. But then I loved Free very, very much when I was young. They they were the festival band of all time.
1: In the new movie, The Runaways, we see Joan Jett making her own Sex Pistols T-shirt.
4: Oh, you've seen that now? Is it out? Uh, Yes, it is. Right, I've got a song in it.
1: (laughs) What do you think about The Runaways? What did you think about The Runaways? They were
4: a fun band at the time, and and it was good to see from America that girls could take on the men, although we were used to that in England through punk because there were many girl bands who held their own with men bands, and and we viewed each other as equals. So it was kind of neat that Americans were offering the same perspective. But it wasn't really. It was still Girls' Day Out.
1: Well, speaking of Vancouver and movies, did you ever see the movie Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains that had Paul Cook and Steve Jones in it that was filmed in
4: Vancouver? Yeah, there were some strange scenes in that.
1: (laughs) Which ones did you think were strange? I'm
4: not going to go into it, but, you know, (laughs) it kind of backfired on poor Paul Cook. (laughs) And I use the word backfire quite deliberately. Paul will get it, and anyone who's seen the film will. But go on. What was the
1: last DVD that you rented?
4: Uh, I I tend not to.
1: What was the last movie? If it's
4: not available on cable, then I'm not really interested. I don't enjoy going to cinemas because uh, it's too many people want to to talk to me. Uh, So I'm, I'm not allowed to be myself. It's very difficult when you've become a public figure and you're known. It's, uh... You get very little time out. John Lydon... As indeed, as you told me, somebody spotted me drinking a smoothie here. You know, I mean, how, how irrelevant is that?
1: Well, I think that might have been the highlight of his week, to see oh, you drinking a that's, smoothie. that's
4: so not right, and, and, and so misunderstanding me. You know? I, I view myself as a regular human being, and... and And I don't like people to interrupt my regular processes.
1: John, the band, the Desperate Bicycles, they were one of the first DIY punk bands. They had the guitarist Dan Electro. Do you remember the Desperate Bicycles at all? No. How about Alternative TV? What did you think of Alternative TV?
4: Uh, Quite interesting. uh, But this is is going back way back. And, I mean, there's been 100,000 bands since. But uh, These were great bands, really, because of the the difference that punk was offering. There was so many variations. Um, It's a shame that punk, over the years, has become uh, ill-defined by nonsense like, I suppose, Courtney Love to one extreme, celebrating drugs and vapid stupidity, and then the other, Green Day, celebrating spiky hair and a, a studded leather jacket. And neither of those two statements really uh, have managed to um, come up with anything valid, verbal-wise. They're not for the improvement of the human race. They're just there to mimic and, and, quite frankly, mock us.
1: One of my favorite bands from that era, as well as the Sex Pistols, was The Boys. They are still going with the vibrators, too. The Boys. Do you remember The Boys at yeah. all the first time? Yeah, I
4: met them a few times. They, they could be all right. When any of these but again, it's that backstage scenario, you know, I mean, I, 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 ACDC too, um, uh, Judas Priest, uh, I mean, all these bands, I mean, I love to say hello, but it's when you come off stage, there's not much more you can be offering in terms of conversation, and and it's, for me, it's not nice to hear great show, Johnny, it's, it's, it's kind of irritating, and so... Myself, when I go to see other bands, I don't like to go backstage because I realize what, what a challenging, compromising situation that can be on, to both sides. It's a real pressure. But I suppose it's the only way, really, fellow musicians can get to meet because we don't really have any, any social network outside of that. At least I don't. Have you had a
1: chance to meet many of the heroes in an American punk rock at all or Canadian punk rock such as Jello Biafra? Have you met Jello from the Dead Kennedys at all?
4: Yes, I have. I met him backstage at San Francisco once. I met him also another time doing an interview in Boston with a DJ then at the time. His name was Oedipus. Um, And both times I thought he talked too much and over intellectualized everything and it seemed kind of humorless. And whatever his personal agenda was, I thought it was too predominant for me. There, there was no, you know, give it a break, you know, lay off the showbiz and just be a human. He was too busy selling himself. Deliberately trying to be outrageous, which is always nauseating.
1: Well, he's done quite a bit of music and he's still doing it, so at least yeah, he's still doing be it. Yeah, and he better
4: off letting that talk for him, because it, it, it can be stifling a conversation with him. Johnny, Lass- you know it's everything has to be explained instantly, and I, and I, I disagree. There, there are times where, as human beings, we just need to socialise in a more friendly way. And indeed, you can learn far more from humour than you can deadpan seriousness. And Johnny, it's not a war all the time. You don't have to walk around wearing your angst.
1: Who do you think was your favorite American punk band? Did you like the Avengers who played with the Pistols? I never
4: viewed it that way, and I've always bitterly disagreed with um, those kind of definitions. Uh, In fact, I never really accepted the term punk or any category. Anything that labels us lessens us.
1: I myself have tried to help spread the word of pill quite a bit when I've been interviewing bands. I interviewed a Canadian band called Simple Plan. I don't know if you've heard about them. They were like a pop punk band. And they were wearing some T-shirts, which were really generic, and I thought I would give them a pill shirt to wear during the interview. So I gave them a pill shirt to wear during the interview. So I've tried to give pill shirts to bands that I think should wear pill shirts.
4: I would find that a little compromising to my personal philosophy, because I don't insist that anyone should wear anything that I've dictated to them.
1: They didn't keep the shirt on. Although
4: that I way. do understand your sense of fun, but the fact is that they put it on at all shows a weakness of personality. <laughs> and or they'd be more than happy for the gift.
1: Well, actually, they... it's a
4: fine line between the two, isn't it?
1: Yes, and they took the shirt right off after that. So... Oh,
4: but at least you put it on. What a mug!
1: <laughs> yes, simple plan. And I... I
4: think I think I think you scored kudos there. <laughs> You showed showed a basic inadequacy in his psychology.
1: Well, thanks so much, John Lydon. Anything else you'd like to add to the people out there at all?
4: Yes, Public Image, the band that really, really has changed the landscape of music. We've uh, created so many different genres in in, in and to ourselves, and there's so many bands out there that are currently hugely popular that have given more than a nod and a wink to our forms of music and have claimed it as their own. Well, hello, come and have a listen to Grandad, because I'm the one what taught them <laughs> what was safe. <laughs> and indeed, those musical formats I'm talking about were not safe for me to be inventing at the time. Uh, I don't deliberately go out of my way to be different. It just seems to happen, because The subject matter I'm dealing with matters so much to me at a personal level. I'm singing from the heart and the soul. I am a folk musician at heart. And I do not give a nod and a wink to others when I'm writing my songs. They're about what I think matter. I'm not imitating, I'm not faking. Public image is a valid, valid operation, always will be. And that's not bad from a man who's 50 years young.
1: Well, thanks so much, John. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-do-do-do. do do, 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 do.
4: do, do. <laughs> Come on, you gooners. <laughs> Great. <laughs> thanks so much for your time, John. If Arsenal John. could be of any more assistance to Canadian soccer, I'm more than happy. <laughs> Long
1: live the Vancouver Whitecaps, right? <laughs>
4: That's a brilliant combination. I must get their shirt.
1: <laughs> we'll have to get one to you.
4: Ah, I'm sure I can procure my own.
1: <laughs> and we'll also get you an eight-track too from Second Edition. If people are listening, maybe they can send you. The I've eight-track. never seen
4: it. I, I, I pay no attention to what's available on eBay. You understand. <laughs>
1: But maybe somebody from their personal collection. I, I,
4: I don't know. I'm, I'm not i am not one for collecting memorabilia, least of all of myself.
1: Well, I want to say your bandmate, Paul, was really nice because when I talked to him in 1990... Oh, Paul Cook? Yes.
4: Oh, well, he's just a genuinely nice bloke. When,
1: when I talked to him in 1996, when you played in Vancouver, I told him about the Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains movie. He didn't have a copy. I offered to bring a copy to the gig, and then he put me on the guest list, and I went backstage, and met him.
4: Yeah. So that no, was... he's a nice person.
1: And then it's really great that now his daughter is playing in the Slits.
4: Yes, that's very good. And, Little Holly.
1: And and now you have a member of the Slits in your band, Johnny, on the Pill Tour.
4: Listen, my stepdaughter is the lead singer of the Slits. And you have. <laughs> I the... don't need any more Slit members. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks so much again, John, and keep on rocking in the free world. May
4: the road rise and your enemies always be behind you.
1: Okay, talk to you later. All right. Okay, bye.